Hey, everybody. This is the Freakopolis Times, our podcast, mostly about stuff related to our comics and game shop, The Freakopolis Geekery. We're Ian, Tyler, and Troy, and we run the shop and host this podcast. Join us and some occasional guests as we talk comics, games, pop culture, and just about anything else that pops up. Remember, while some of our topics can get a little geeky, they change up often, so hang in there and maybe the next one will be more your style. By the way, this podcast is video enhanced on YouTube and Spotify. Check it out if you're feeling left out on the visuals. You never know what might show up. Now, let's do the show. Episode four, Fantastic Four. So, Fantastic Four, pretty ah, awesome. the four. Yeah, everyone knows them, but they've kind of fallen out of the spotlight. The world's greatest comic magazine! So it was known <laughs> in the 60s and the later 50s and the 70s. <laughs> in like the 80s. And the 80s. So, so it was known. The world's greatest Probably comic Probably in magazine. the 90s too. I don't know. I don't recall for sure. But it fell off. Certainly in the years of superhero cinema. The Fantastic Four have never quite <laughs> found their spot in the spotlight. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it it doesn't align with anything else that's Marvel thought of in Marvel now. No, they, even even the stuff Sony produced with Spider Man and Venom and all that stuff just far outclasses anything that's been made for Fantastic Four so far. Prior to the Avengers, I think a lot of people would have considered the Fantastic Four to be the greatest superhero team of all time. But now, when they put the Avengers in the straight-up spotlight as the world's greatest heroes, they kind of usurped that title from Marvel's first family, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, most people, I think, today hardly know who the Fantastic Four are. Like, it, it's, it really isn't an important part of the Pantheon at the moment. No, no, they've never had their chance to slip into the timeline. But why do you think that is? Uh, they're kind of campy. Yeah. They, they lean into that campiness a little more than the usual Marvel menagerie. Tony Stark and Captain America, sure, they're pretty one-sided, but they got some... Personality to him. Yeah, a little bit of Fantastic Four doesn't, but it's like it's a rock man, a dude that's a torch, uh, (laughs) stretchy super scientist. I don't know. The movie's been tried a few times. Yeah. As as far as I know, each time they've tried to like tell the origin story. Yes. And it fails there. So if it fail, (laughs) if it fails from the origin. Uh, it's, it's never going to get there. I think that these powers, yeah, the thing, the human torch, Mr. Fantastic, and the Invisible Woman, all those do not translate well to cinema. Or at least they haven't in recent history, right? But even today, when you have a character with stretchy powers, they have to go through all sorts of rather obvious tricks and cuts in order to make it believable. They're, they don't go with full CG for that kind of stuff because it would be wildly difficult to pull off well. All right, stretchiness stretchiness is a pain to to create. It's I mean it's very doable, but mm-hmm. it's it's hard to make it really uh visually impactful. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right. And invisible girl, invisible woman, uh 
Well, that's a power <laughs> that just doesn't lend itself well to no. awesome CGI effects. I'm afraid not, right? <laughs> Though she does have the ability to project shields and stuff as well, which yeah. definitely could lend itself yeah. to really cool epic moments on screen, but yeah. her main power, her title power, is to turn invisible. Yeah, I mean, it's going to need to do stuff like they do... like. In the comics. I mean, yes. in the comics, when she turns invisible, she turns transparent. Right. Um, and they're probably just going to have to, I don't know, I don't believe that's the way they've been handling it so much. I think they've been having the camera follow around a actual invisible person. <laughs> Generally, um, yeah. And, and I think they're going to need more to do a transparent person that no one can see is transparent. But that um, in its own is a tough CGI feature. Right. Now it'll be interesting. I was going to say, it, it sounds like four characters that all heavily rely on CGI. Yeah. That are the only stars of the movie, really. That's kind of a tall order to pull off. Yeah. yeah I think that's probably why. The well, the thing is probably going to want to be almost completely CGI. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the big CGI monster is a trope now. You know, <laughs> like, of course there has to be one. No yeah. one would be surprised that the thing would be portrayed like that. And generally, they're regarded as, like... Oh, I have to roll my eyes at the, you know, uh, the lack of polish on the big CGI monster. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he's been done with practical effects before, uh, yeah. so far, I think, and that looks pretty lame. It does. Uh, I, now, of course, we've discussed in the past that, like, the Hulk always looks like CGI, mm -hmm. um, in, even today. In, She-Hulk. In, in today's Avengers oh, yeah. movies, they, they just look like CGI. Tracksuit Hulk, yeah. he, he <laughs> looks like CGI. Um, I mean, maybe the thing, actually, because of his rocky, textured hide... Could be more believable. Yeah, they might actually be able to pull him off better than having the issues that they're having with the Hulk's smooth green skin. Um, so, you know, maybe it would serve to his advantage to be done as really killer CGI. I, and, I mean, the Human Torch is, he's <laughs> ideal. I yeah. mean, you know, uh, and they could do some really super cool things with him and, you know, blowing flame from his hands and, and all of that. That's something that they do pretty well now. I mean, it would be a good excuse to do it really perfectly and awesomely. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, every one of those characters like, could be done differently than they've been portrayed so far. And that's just their visual power effects. Never mind just how they're represented in the scripting, the storyline. I know, Ian, you've mentioned a number of flaws you've seen in the way they actually represent these characters as characters. Yeah, even uh, more recent portrayals of Mr. Fantastic do not do him justice because Mr. Fantastic's real power is not stretchiness. I mean, it is outwardly. That's what a lot of people know him for. But his real power is MacGuffin generation. <laughs> <laughs> he, he takes about five minutes to create a device which solves the problem. Right, right. His amazing gadgeteering based on his incredible super brain. Which we've discussed is on a different level than, like, Iron Man, right? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I, Tony Stark is... Super intelligent, but mm -hmm. yeah, Mr. Fantastic is the universe's smartest man. I think so, yeah, given that he pretty much can destroy or create universes at whim in some plot lines. Like, he's way beyond power level of a lot of average characters. And in that, he often kind of has a deuce ex machina 
style to his writing, where he just comes in and says, and the problem is solved because I say so, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, uh, you made the point um, that Tony Stark, he'll, he can quickly gadgeteer. He yeah, can, He yeah. can build things quickly. Um, he tends to be slower and more, you know, like he's got like blueprints and stuff, mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, all of that. And he, and he works with his, with his AI assistant, um, in order to like design something and then have his, you know, program his robotic manufacturing systems to actually build the thing. Right. Exactly. That. Yeah. Where, you know, but, but then there's other times when he can sort of whip up some quick gadget that's needed at the moment because he's a super scientist mm -hmm. but not at the same level of, as Reed Richards Stark would produce something which is uh, high-end terrestrial yeah yes right where Reed would create something that's interdimensionally powerful yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> something that even alien races would go oh wow that's yeah, that's, that's something that's beyond us. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> exactly. So in that, it's a it's a totally different power scale, I think, and that's kind of tough to write for as well. So I see why they resort on. He's stretchy, so he'll punch them. <laughs> <laughs> now apparently that happened recently, like it, even recently, it right? It did. I'm afraid. I mean. It might be my uh, number one complaint about Marvel's recent portrayal of Mr. Fantastic is that even though... Which it, happened where? Uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Okay, so the, the most recent Doctor Strange movie, we get a new look at a sort of sanctioned Reed Richards. Yeah. And he is portrayed well, like the actor nailed it and the lines are good and the delivery is like, yes, this looks and sounds like I imagine Reed Richards to look. But the moment that conflict comes about, and I understand that they were kind of put there to be torn apart. Conflict in like a hand-to-hand -hand combat fighting scenario. It evolved into a battle, yeah, okay. yeah. So in, in the very beginnings of a battle, he makes the opening move with a punch. And I think that <laughs> Reed Richards is so much more than this, you know? And it might be one of my only complaints about that, really. It, it's, it was all so good right up until that point, unfortunately. Yeah, I, Reed, Reed isn't, as a, isn't at his best when throwing punches. He's a grappler. But... He's a grappler, yeah. You see him bind people up. Yeah. Yeah, but... I remember you had said it, it probably would have felt more to character if that ended up being a hologram and they were never really there to begin with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like some crazy science solution exactly. that he would outplay. And I think the Scarlet Witch is the big villain in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I think that's pretty common knowledge by now. Wanda goes a little crazy. I think the Scarlet Witch versus Reed Richards is actually... A legitimate matchup, you know? They both have universe-bending powers, whereas the Scarlet Witch clearly outranks Doctor Strange in raw power, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and it kind of did a little bit of injustice to Reed Richards, because he's a lot more than a puncher, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that seems like it just wouldn't be his tactic. Yeah. Like, he's such a, a strategy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just seems very strange that he would o do the opening move with throwing a punch. It's like, okay, what's he got planned? Like, <laughs> well, why why would he be throwing that punch? It's got to be 
because you know he's trying to cause something to happen. Yeah. But apparently, what he was trying to cause to happen was lights out by hitting her on the chin. (laughs) (laughs) He knew that that wasn't going to work, so. It was, it was not the best example of his character, yet again, even in the MCU. I'm hoping if they do really delve into... Oh, well, they are going to really delve into the Fantastic Four. And when they do, I hope that they finally nail it, you know? Well, I mean, that's a questionable start. If that's a recently uh, uh, built character, uh, you know, are they going to nail it? I don't know. Maybe It was definitively... A multiverse version of Reed Richards, okay, though. Okay. You know, uh, it was supposed to be a a bit of a what if scenario. Goofball Reed Richards from another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I'm probably most excited for, if they do continue on with the Fantastic Four, the the current Marvel franchise, is that geez, I hope we get to see the return of like a really awesome, well pulled off Doctor Doom. Yeah, because we haven't seen him in a movie in. How long? Yeah. Too long. And he's such a worthy villain. Right, he's awesome. But we've never seen a properly produced Doctor Doom costume. No. Uh, They always always decide to redesign it for the movie. Of course, you have to be able to remove the mask. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the antithesis of what's going on there with his character. So with Reed Richards, when he threw the punch, did he at least make his fist big? Yeah, sure. So he had a big giant fist. It wasn't a boxing glove, though, was it? I don't believe so, but there was a (laughs) distinct cut effect that also made me say, like, even now they have to resort to certain tricks in order to sell this superpower. Which of the Fantastic Four are your favorite? I mean, Mr. Fantastic's intelligence, of course, being the leader of the team is always cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I think for me, over the years, depending on who was writing the Fantastic Four, my favorite would move around. Yeah. And, you know, and it depended on whose, whose story was in the front. You know, sometimes Ben Grimm would get a little too sad sack and, <laughs> you know, wander off down into Yonkers and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lay low at a bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, so that kind of was a bit of a turn off. And sometimes, you know... Johnny Storm would be that hothead, and he'd he'd fly away and do dangerous things in some some Grand Prix race or whatever <laughs> he was involved in. So, um, but actually, often the um, Invisible Woman mm-hmm. ends up having some of the like the coolest and most practical powers, and in a lot of ways, she she's in a, you know a little bit like. A Marvel Universe version of Green Lantern, mm-hmm. right? She had, you know, at times she had some pretty extreme control of her thing. She, I mean, it was generally spheres or semi-spheres that she would be able to create from her force power, but it was also incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, and so, and once she learned to use it, like, offensively by... You know, having a, a sphere move rapidly through the air, hit people, you know, knock them over and cause mm-hmm. knockback and all that. Yeah, she was probably one of the most, you know, sort of practical, uh, hero clicks playable kind of characters. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I think people underestimate the Invisible Woman. She's, she's pretty awesome. Yeah. She's Not cool. only that, but she's also incredibly intelligent and... 
peak physical strength and like has a bunch of stuff going on that yeah. makes her a total superheroine, you know. And a mom. Yes, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I would say that uh when I was younger, Johnny Storm was awesome because him and Spider-Man would race and stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> In the video games where he was portrayed, it was really fun to come across him because it felt like this big crossover and stuff. And on the cartoon, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Storm True. was one of the one of the gang. Yeah, so they they crossed over a lot, and because of his proximity to Spider-Man, it made it like, oh, Johnny Storm, like he's part of the team, you know. But as you get older, I think. Ben Grimm, honestly, is really a well-written character in the way that he has an awesome power set and is incredibly strong. Heck, his, you know, number one rival is the Hulk. Mm -hmm. You don't really anticipate him winning that fight, but he puts up a fight, you know? <laughs> and in that alone, I think that it's interesting that he has more emotional weakness than he does physical weakness. And it makes for a really interesting character. And that takes us to streaming services. It's the new television. <laughs> it really is, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, what, earlier, end of the year around then, we canceled all of our cable mm -hmm. boxes and all of that and kind of moved to strictly streaming. I am happy to be away from the era of nonstop commercials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, HBO, Netflix, Disney Plus. All those big ones. Thing is, there's a lot of options these days, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you can go on all day long, <laughs> naming paid-for streaming services. Amazon, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hulu. <laughs> they, yeah. they just stack up, and eventually it's just going to feel like TV. <laughs> or you have a subscription to probably bundles of a bunches of these different streaming services, and those are your channels. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that all goes on now. I mean, what would be interesting is if they, you know... If you could just basically pay whatever fee it is, nine ninety nine a month, but like for three months you get Netflix, and then for three months you get uh, oh that would be know, funny. Uh, yeah, Disney yeah. Plus, and then yeah, have a whole rotation. I don't know. I'd probably sign up for that. So, that would be pretty cool. I mean, yeah. you can do that, but it yourself, takes so much work. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. But if you could somehow do it automatically, that would be kind of cool. Luckily enough, they have actually made streaming services purposefully easy to unsubscribe from because I think towards the beginnings they were purposefully difficult to unsubscribe from and there's like legislation that said you need to make this like no more than two buttons <laughs> but as far as streaming services are concerned everyone's signing up for them everyone has their preferences which ones are we liking these days which are bringing the value for their monthly subscription well, I did just get Disney Plus literally a day or two ago, finally. Mm -hmm. Because why? Well, I got Kenobi. Yeah, uh, of course, all that Star Wars stuff. If yeah. I ever want to watch some other Marvel, older stuff, I'll probably watch Multiverse of Madness yeah. uh, from that. Just seemed like a, a good choice. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was wondering what pushed you over the cliff there to... Go ahead and say, yeah, I want that. Well, it's probably the number one series of shows that people like to talk about in the store, you know. Mm -hmm. They, they want to talk about Miss Marvel, Obi-Wan. Right, what if? Yeah, I'd like yeah. to know the backstory of some of the, the figures I've gotten from Heroclix and 
Yeah, Disney Plus, the HeroClix set, probably also motivates you to sign up for that. <laughs> exactly. So, do they have, does Disney Plus have all the WandaVision stuff? It does, yeah. Okay. Yeah, WandaVision and Ms. Marvel and Moon Knight, and now it has all the Daredevil stuff. Wow. Like they, really? Yeah, they've coalesced quite a bit, as well as everything that came out before Infinity War or, or Endgame. And more, like they they continue to add to it as well. The New York Spider Man stuff, they they continuously are just shoveling everything that they've made onto the service, and it does make for quite the hefty package for sure. Yeah, and that's why I mean, their stuff used to be on Netflix, and I guess that's been probably pulled back and is now on Disney Plus instead. At this point, yeah, yeah. Well, Netflix kind of did. a bold move in raising their prices not too long ago, didn't they? Yeah, well, they've promised that they're going to have to, given that they probably have more competition now than they used to, and their stocks are likely down, I think, towards their shareholders to promise further uh, profits. They said that we either need to up the price of the subscription or introduce commercials, or maybe both by the end of the year, which I think would be a fatal mistake. Yeah, you I would, don't want commercials. <laughs> no, you would see people jump from that she- ship in a heartbeat. Yeah, they've got a lot of content that people like. Um, but, you know, it I, it seems like streaming services, like I said, are going to be kind of cyclical. They're going to be, you're going to want them for a while in order to binge out whatever it is that you're interested in. And then you start to just surf their menus and realize everything that I wanted to see, I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and something, there's a greener pasture over there. Yeah, that, um, seems, that seems to be the case rather often. I think that HBO is honestly the ones who put out the most quality programs at the moment. They're the ones who have some writers and some production teams and studios lined up that are really pumping out the good stuff, like Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah HBO Max has got a lot of great stuff. Uh, I guess... I mean, really, Amazon has a lot of stuff, too, but people don't really think of that as buying the streaming services. It just kind of comes along with Prime. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you're buying cheaper deliveries. uh, (laughs) And you get it. And you get the streaming service with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of realm to be in. Disney definitely has a strong point at the moment where they're able to have a very niche audience that they know is going to tune in. Mm-hmm. Whereas HBO is trying to capture a more adult audience. And everyone else is scrambling for everything in between. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the interesting thing about HBO is it has a pretty nice range of animation, including pretty much all of the old Adult Swim stuff. And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't say it's a bad thing that they're making all these shows and programs. I'm always a fan of new IPs and stuff, especially from HBO, although now there's all the spin-offs they're leaning into. Yes. And Disney Plus, yeah, kind of has the high ground uh, <laughs> on that, because they have so much to pull from and so much to work with. They do, and so many fans. Yeah. But I still, I, I taste that sprinkle of Disney nonsense. Of course. It's within always their, in there. Within their app and within their shows. It's just like... It's Disney magic. Yes. That's <laughs> what they would say. So on HBO Max, I just finished... I just wrapped up watching um, the two seasons of The Tick, which unfortunately seems to end after two seasons because season two 
ended after uh, in 2019, and there's no season three yet. Uh, however, it ended leaving a lot of open ends, even creating open ends in the I, final episode. I wonder what happened. What uh, happened to yeah, that production yeah, team why? in 2019? Right, <laughs> yeah. why did they stop creating that show? Yes. At that point in time, I don't know. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't know You know whether it, um, it, they're planning on having a comeback or not. Uh, but so far, no sign of it. Um, it would be cool. It was kind of fun. It was better than I expected. It was kind of weird, though. It was like, to me, it was a little bit like, I mean, I guess it was a reboot. Um, it seemed like it was virtually the same show as I remember Patrick Warburton being in. Yeah. With the same costume and really a lot of the same story, mm -hmm. but it was a different guy. So, it, like, did I jump tracks? Is that a Bernstein Bears thing <laughs> that's going on there? <laughs> no, I, I don't believe so. I think that The Tick is kind of a, a cool IP to jump into for some low-budget superhero production. And some of those episodes surely were low budget. It was almost like a Doctor Who style uh, superhero show. But they still sold it so well. It was a lot of fun. Like, really, really an awesome little uh, uh, storyline they had going on there. And it's sad to see that it's likely it won't ever really come to a conclusion, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, luckily they did finish sort of the main story that they were tracking. Yeah. But they created these giant new open ends with... Uh, Superion on the moon and, uh, uh, you know, just <laughs> all kinds of, uh, you know, potential new stories going on. The, the, uh, the commander of, of the, uh, Aegis, Aegis organization, you're right, Aegis organization. And, uh, he kind of returned from the dead and, uh, you, you sort of know why, but not really, you know, there are lots of weird stuff going on. So for sure it. Definitely was entertaining, uh, more so than I thought it would be, but I don't know how big it really was or how successful it was, but on a streaming service, does that really matter? <laughs> Not as much. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that, that's what I've been watching on uh, HBO Max over on um, uh, Amazon Prime. We're still watching The Boys. Um, so there's some more uh, supers going on over there. Uh, yeah, The Boys is... Definitely making waves. Mm -hmm. That has a huge following, and people are uh, discussing it pretty vehemently online. It's it's a lot to tackle from a lot of different angles. It seems because it pokes fun at a lot of different people. <laughs> it was. I mean, we're finally we finally watched episode two. Uh, no big spoilers, but it was really cool to see them specifically mention the neighboring town mm -hmm. and uh, neighboring... Some rides uh, that we've been on. Yeah. The amusement <laughs> neighboring park. Neighboring amusement park. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, uh, no spoilers, but they definitely uh, are talking specifically about our area here where uh, Freakopolis is. It was pretty funny, yeah. That was a, a standout line, no doubt. I kind of had a Leonardo DiCaprio meme, you know, sitting on the couch with the beer... <laughs> and sometimes satire lands better than the genre it's trying to make fun of itself. Sometimes the satire pays such good homage to its genre that it ends up being a standout example of the genre. 
What are some uh, examples of that we can think of? Mystery Men. Mystery Men. Mm-hmm. We love Mystery, Mystery Men. Mystery Men for sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the sort of best satirical uh, superhero movies going, and yet they sort of nailed so many of the, uh, you know, perfectly desirable storyline kind of plot devices. Mystery Man was pretty prescient. There's so much about that movie that still lands and it still kind of influences movies that came out. It it came out before the MCU was a big thing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I think they probably called a lot of what was going to happen in that universe as, as well. We must have watched that movie dozens of times, though. It would probably be good to watch it again. I just said, we're due watching it again, really. Yeah, it's got a great villain, a a great non-hero hero, hero, much like is portrayed in The Boys and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? It has an awesome team-up sequence. Yeah, the whole getting the team together thing is awesomely pulled off. Smash Mouth wrote All-Stars for that movie, not for Shrek, if you didn't know. (laughs) Well, that just makes it all more... All-Stars is their biggest song ever. And like the biggest to, song ever. It is the biggest song ever. <laughs> and it was specifically for Mystery Man. I can't believe that All Stars completely eclipsed its origin. Uh, oh, all I think about is when I hear that song, walking down the road, you know, shoveler on my right, blue Raja on my left. <laughs> <laughs> and it has so many good lines and stuff. It's an incredibly quotable movie, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess, so you have Mystery Men, and then what other, uh... Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Yeah, Spaceballs nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Spaceballs also managed to be not only the best Star Wars satire, but... The best Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, as far as we're concerned here at the conference, generally the satire is genre-defining and everything else is less than. <laughs> Mystery Men is the best superhero movie to ever come out. Spaceballs <laughs> is the best Star Wars in the whole uh, franchise. For the purposes of this episode, yes, that's true. <laughs> and All-Star is the best... All Stars the best song ever written. (laughs) Oh boy. No, Spaceballs actually legitimately had such effort and talent behind it that George Lucas lended Industrial Light and Magic's talent and their production to Spaceballs. To do all the CGI and post-production. Yeah, the special effects. It's really pretty crazy. I mean, of course, that might be one of the most renowned special effects studios in all the industry. And the satire ended up being worthy, you know? <laughs> there is, of course, also Galaxy Quest. Mm. Ah. The best, the best Star, Star Trek, Trek movie <laughs> ever made. It's true. It is, though. It really is. Galaxy Quest might be the most emotional. And it manages to land emotional beats in the later third of that movie that are so impactful that I don't think I've ever seen anyone watch that movie and not be completely engrossed by the time it's in, like, the last 30 minutes, you know? And I guess, that it, you know, its whole style of storytelling and everything emulates Star Trek so yeah. well. <laughs> so they, they, they really did nail kind of telling a Star Trek story. And at the same time, attempting to have all these unlikely heroes and comedic circumstances and 
sci-fi tropes all twisted to be as funny as possible. And it really still holds up today super well. And the funny thing is, all these ones we've mentioned, though, are kind of before the times of many kids that come into the shops, you know? When they come and talk about the movies that they've been watching, I don't think they've ever seen Mystery Men, Spaceballs, or Galaxy Quest, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of unfortunate. I don't think that that style of movie quite comes out anymore. At least not on the big screen. No, that's true. There's definitely lots of TV shows yeah. coming out mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, the Orville is kind of a... The Orville is yeah. along the lines of... Another yeah. one? I guess you have uh, Disenchantment tackling fantasy tropes and stuff. Matt Groening's animation on Netflix. Right, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it still exists, obviously, and good writers do attempt to tackle it, but those three movies feel very standout. They give you a better understanding of the genre as a whole. Mm -hmm. Even just watching them, it gives you some sort of insight into what you watch Star Wars again, or Star Trek, or a superhero movie. Upon considering that, do you think that satire has more so evolved to be a little more poignant? 100%. And a little darker, honestly, with things like The Boys or Invincible mm. tapping into the superhero genre and trying to maybe expose from a different angle what things might look like if that were real or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's also reflective of what it takes to capture attention today. Mm -hmm. um, things have to be more impactful. They have to be more visceral. Than, yes. You know, I'm afraid it has to be more violent, which is a little unfortunate because there's this prudishness, honestly, that I've seen where people are entirely desensitized to the violence of this satire and may very well be watching it solely for the spectacle of gore but at the same time any moment that anything cultural or or sexual is brought up they're immediately like oh it's too much i, I can't handle this i can't i can't look at this it's like really like you just watched a dude explode into chunks <laughs> suddenly like this is too much you know it feels a little ridiculous. People draw their lines at all different places. <laughs> they do, apparently, yeah. I don't know, the boys still pulls off that cringiness. Oh, oh they take it to a, a far, far edge of things for sure, but it makes you consider definitely a little how ridiculous it is that... That's the level they have to go to to get a reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So let's bring in the D&D &D tip of the week. What do you got? I'm gonna say, don't make the DM your enemy. He may play all the enemies, but he is not your enemy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, you don't wanna, you don't wanna turn around and have your, your character start thinking the DM is your problem, right? So yeah, and it can be easy to kind of slip into this mindset, right? As a player, obviously you're rolling against the DM all the time. Yeah, he tells you what you can and cannot do. He plays the big bad evil guy that's trying to kill you yeah, and yeah, your family. The, feel, <laughs> the feeling that he's trying to kill you. It's like if he was trying to kill you, if the DM was trying to kill you, it'd be like if God was trying to kill you. Yeah, it would just happen. It would just happen. Yeah, you're be, right. It's be, their story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but the point being, 
DMs look forward to their evil monologues or their exposition just as much as the player looks forward to rolling a critical hit for the final strike on the boss or a big character moment where they get to say a badass line or something. And oftentimes you find that the players will deny the DM this chance to have fun. You know? I see, okay. And okay. that's because they think that the DM's their enemy, when really the DM also is another kind of player, and they too have expectations and moments that they're anticipating mm-hmm. and, and need to see play out in order to enjoy the experience. And it can be important to, like, making the story actually work, right? I mean, if you if you kind of interject and prevent that DM from delivering that monologue... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it's, it takes a lot of meaning out of actually then killing the guy that delivered it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. They're the storyteller. They're building the story for you, and the players are the characters in the story. They're trying to enhance that experience. Yes. So give them the moment, the, the chance to, before you The converse is, of course, don't bother trying to bribe your DM. <laughs> he isn't going to be your friend on that level either. I'm afraid not. I yeah. hope not. I hope not. Well, so a bag of Cheetos will get you pretty far. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got you this Mountain Dew. It's ice cold. Right. <laughs> Can I then make you that? shall be spared. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> However, yeah, so like when the DM finally, you know, gets to the big bad evil guy moment, there is this kind of player trope of saying, you know, he starts going, ah, I, a Sarawak. Fireball! Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, come on, man. Like, I was just starting to get going. I waited weeks for this, you know? And and they interrupt. And that can happen also during exposition. And I think that there is a balance to be found for exposition. But that's what the DM spends hours a week going into each session preparing, right? Often it's a bit of world building and some exposition to feed to you. And while you're explaining the graceful arches of the golden towers of this elvish city, and the players are talking to each other, it makes you feel a bit deflated, you know? It's like, well, can't you just respect my effort here for a moment and let me have my fun too? And it's not always that simple for the DM. (laughs) Right, don't treat the DM like he's actually your enemy and don't make the dm your actual enemy by disrespecting yeah 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 and i'm afraid that it's all too common that it's hard to have the attention span to go through a a long session of exposition and that is because there is a point where it's too much right Of course. I mean, especially if your character isn't necessarily involved with what's going on. Yeah. And you just have to listen to, here's what's going on in the world. Here's how the story's progressing. Here's some vital information for you. Mm -hmm. But you're not necessarily smacking anything with your battle axe or, or... Yeah, you don't want to put anyone into a passive position for too long while you're playing, because then it feels like they're not actively playing. If there is too much exposition, I suppose you can kind of just bring it up respectfully to the DM, but I wouldn't interrupt them in the middle of their their rambling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if it's going on for 30 minutes... Yeah, uh, can we get back back to the game? (laughs) (laughs) Can jankiness be a positive in a video game? (laughs) 
Can jankiness be positive? Yeah. Can it add to the game's flavor? What would be janky? <laughs> like if the movement was real janky. And uh, some jumps were nigh impossible. Lest you got the right amount of jankiness going on. I find that the best jankiness comes from physics simulation. Mm -hmm. Like in Oblivion, Skyrim, Cyberpunk, right. Grand Theft Auto. When you take models and add ridiculous force to them or stretch them so right, that they right. fling and go flying. <laughs> or The infamous swing set in Grand Theft Auto 4, if you're familiar with that, you would drive a car up against it and it would begin to vibrate and whip around violently and it would strike Fling your car you. and launch it like a cannon over miles <laughs> of the city line and you would land and explode but it was always such a game to see how far you get and it was like this little easter egg this little this little fact that you could find is like this particular swing set will launch you into okay, the sky so i guess that becomes the quintessential version of jankiness being part of the game i think that would be a good example yeah yeah yeah, Rockstar kind of has it down with their ragdoll and physics <laughs> systems. Yes. But like in Red Dead Redemption 2, if you shoot a dude and he stumbles, does a 360 a couple times and then falls down, that's pretty funny. It is. Oh, it's exaggerated movement in the best way possible. It's even better if they spin around three times and then their gun goes flying from their hand, lands on the ground, and shoots, shoots and blasts yeah. them up in the head. Yeah. <laughs> no, isn't this, doesn't this also, isn't it uh, Far Cry? Far Cry, yeah, that's, kind of, that's yeah. also classically like that. Yeah, the whole yeah. Far Cry series is almost like a physics playground. It that, can be for that, sure. That involves a ton of jankiness every time you do almost anything. Oh, look, an airplane! Right. This is gonna get janky. Yeah. <laughs> or just cause or Gary's mod. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah, I think it really. I think the best jankiness does come from physics engines or. Random generation of encounters, mm. too, because in per se Far Cry, some of my favorite moments from my most recent Far Cry playthrough is just like talking to a quest giver and then a swarm of alligators comes just roaming into the place <laughs> and tearing people apart and they stop talking to me and whip out a gun and start defending themselves. It's like, holy crap, like who could have seen this coming? You know? <laughs> and then a bull on fire comes in and starts knocking the alligators right. left and right. And that it's thing like, got caught on fire. Somehow. somehow yeah yeah somewhere there's a fire yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah all that is super fun so that's fun but jankiness in per se like inventory or ui loading yeah yeah, yeah. glitches no those generally aren't fun Maybe. misbehaviors of the actual program working right those aren't fun or ai i would consider per se in the last of us part one at least if you're playing on the highest difficulties. When Joel comes running at someone with low health and he whips a pipe at them, they can respond by punching him in the face in like a quarter second. Like, uh. inhuman response time, even if you're coming up from behind them and stuff. And it makes me go, oh, this jank just got me killed. Like, come on, you know. That's frustrating. That's not fun. I like it when the jank lends towards the player. <laughs> right, or like in Destiny. If you hit a ledge a little wrong and then you fall off into the void, yeah, it's yeah, like, oh, Apple is extremely, yeah, 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 yeah. Or the angle, because they have very complex 
geometry throughout that title. Mm. And yeah, sometimes the angle of a ledge or whatever can be like, oh, come on, I should have been able to get on that. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's some classic jank out there that was super fun, like in Joust. True. Oh, yeah. Well, I was thinking, when, when he originally said jankiness, I was thinking, is he going to start talking about retro stuff? Yeah. Like, like that we see in Joust or Toe Jam and Earl. So in Joust, you could do the little bounce if you hit a, a platform right where your legs connected yeah. with the body on the ostrich, right? And if you hit that bounce towards one where there was another platform just elevated above it, then you would squeeze yeah. between the two. And that was like a super secret move that yeah. could be used while dueling newbies. Right. <laughs> if, you, if, you could, if you could land on the platform without having your landing gear come down, mm -hmm. without having the legs come down, then he would skip across the platform and slide in between the rocks. Yes. Um, and, and it would shoot you out with, yeah, with incredible velocity. Speed, yeah, yeah, yeah. As though it was a intended mechanic. It was great. I loved it. And that, though, was a little secret unless yeah. you experimented with the game a good amount of with time. With the jankiness. Someone shot you. <laughs> but I don't believe that it actually was intended. I think that that released... Essentially, as jank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's tough to tell. I don't know. That was one of the first games, too, that was like doing the whole wrap through the screen kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Fly out one side, come in the other side. I know yeah. that later releases of Midway Arcade versions give you the option to either patch out that effect or keep it in as the classic mode. Right. Sanctioned jank. Sanctioned jank. <laughs> And that about does it for this one. If you liked hanging with us, please subscribe through your favorite podcast directory. Join our Discord and check out our shop, The Freakopolis Geekery. See you next time.